0: It's awfully easy to look around the world and mostly be annoyed and not live in a state of grace and love. But grace and love are what is required of us because grace and love is what has been extended to us.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine. Oh, who do we start with today? Let's start with Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Morning. And Amy.
0: Greetings.
1: Hey. Guys, we're on episode 160. I'm
2: tired. It's 160
1: today. And today is my mommy's birthday. Oh. Yeah. She won't hear this for what. You should say. You should Um, say. Well, I could.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What I'm saying?
1: I'm not sure I'm going to. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know how soon she'll hear this anyway it'll be a few weeks before this pops up in everybody's feet anyway but mom when you hear this happy birthday just know we we're thinking about you today and uh you know maybe i'll sing later we'll see hey they shot maybe down we'll the take balloon out in song yeah yeah there we go maybe i'll sing later but uh <laughs> they shot down the balloon you guys maybe that was my mom's birthday balloon
3: yeah, in over the Atlantic, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it they was waited. a weather balloon. That they just waited for off all of, They waited for all.
1: Yeah, they waited for all the pictures to be taken first, and then they shut it down. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe, what if it was somebody's like gender reveal party that that got spoiled, you know? <laughs> and it was just going to be, you know, pink or blue. And, and no, it just I got away. And
0: here I was, all disappointed. I ordered Chinese food, and it went right over.
3: well it definitely fired up the united states because they were definitely mad canceled some trips that they were supposed to have to china i was listening to on npr all for an errant balloon so yes (laughs) i don't know kind of a the whole situation was a little funny because honestly
1: i didn't know any I didn't know anything about it until I got a text early yesterday morning from Karen with these things about balloons. I'm like, okay, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't been paying a whole lot of attention to things in the last couple of days. So I look it up I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and but it's gone. The threat is thwarted. We're all safe now. From We the-
0: actually gonna play this clip three weeks late or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, people it gives context. <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> On to our guys, Bible text about balloons. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys ever hear the story of Larry
2: Walters, the guy in LA that hooked weather balloons to his lawn chair? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that story because he thought he was going to float over his neighborhood and he shot up into the airspace of LAX. Yeah. And the funny thing was he thought he was going to shoot the, the weather balloons so that he would be able to go down. So right. the recording of the people – um you know uh, what do you call it air traffic control was we got a guy up here in a lawn chair and he's got a gun <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious it yeah. was so funny <laughs>
1: yeah did he take a bb gun or something with him and yeah then, he was
2: gonna shoot the weather balloons with the bb gun to, and to let himself he, down he had like a six pack of beer and he's on <laughs> his lawn chair and he's like
0: Must terrified. Have a six pack of beer. i was
1: gonna say i think I'm there were some beers day. There, I was going to say, I think there were some beers that happened before the launch. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: oh, how my- he's going to reduce the weight. <laughs> 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 it was a process. <laughs> Drink, relieve, lower. <laughs> <sighs> oh, my gosh. That's, yeah, yeah. That was pretty crazy.
1: Well, you know, here in Colorado, we've had our own balloon things here. Remember the balloon boy several years ago? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was quite the deal. (laughs) The the guy who claimed that his son had been uh, was in a balloon that he had made, and oh man, that was a that was that was quite the publicity stunt when it turned out the kid was just hiding in their attic the whole time. uh, What a what a what a dumb way to get attention! (laughs) But it got got the it worked. It worked. It definitely worked. I think he got (laughs) serious trouble for that, though. Yeah. (laughs) all right well enough of the hilarity and frivolity of balloons i mean balloons that aren't even carried by crazy scary clowns that are freaking us out so (laughs) all right well let's 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 go where we meant to go when we started this morning and get into our, our discussion today We're going to be continuing our discussion today on John chapter five. Now, you may recall last week we were talking about a man who was at a pool called Bethesda or at a place called Bethesda um, who wanted to be healed, but wasn't able to get into the pool because the legend there was that that if the water was uh, was uh, what's the word stirred, I guess, was the word. Yeah. Yeah. That, that the first person to get in the water would be healed from whatever affliction they had. And when Jesus showed up, he asked the man if he wanted to be healed. And the man said, I don't have anybody to put me in. And Jesus healed him. And the guy was able to walk on his way. And so where we pick up today then is immediately after this, when the Jewish leaders come up on Jesus now. And they are upset with Jesus, not so much because he healed a man. I mean, first of all, you know, how are you not just amazed that these things are happening? You know, that a man is healed from something. He'd been sick for, what, 38 years?
2: Yeah, I think it took 38
1: years. 38 years. So a man who was sick for 38 years and the Jewish people come and they're upset at him. But it doesn't necessarily say they're upset about the healing. They're upset because Jesus did this on... The Sabbath, and so maybe this is an interesting time. We've already talked a little bit um, about how Jesus has disrupted some of their thinkings about Sabbath in the past. Because oh, was it a couple, maybe three weeks ago? I don't remember exactly where he was walking through a field with his disciples, and his disciples were rubbing some grain between their hands, plucking the grain, and 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 you know eating them like as a snack as they walked. And uh, the Jewish leaders then saw them doing that and got upset because that was on the Sabbath, and by by plucking that Definition. grain, yeah, yeah. by what they were doing, it was technically work by their standards, and so they got very upset about Jesus' and disciples doing that. And now Jesus is healing somebody on the Sabbath, and they're upset about that. So maybe this would be an interesting time for us to talk about why this is upsetting them so much. Why are they so up in arms about this stuff happening
3: on the Sabbath? What's what's your take? My thing is that sometimes you just get in somebody's crosshairs and you can't get out. They're just going to look for anything that they could possibly get on you, no matter what you do. Mm -hmm.
0: I think it's an indication of how off they're. Their sense of God's work is that Mm -hmm. the importance of this, the details of how they perceive the Sabbath should be honored is more important than uh, a person being healed. Mm -hmm. Like, that's very odd. Like, that's that's such a strong swing and a miss (laughs) to me. I can barely get my brain around it. Well, and it gets worse,
2: Karen, right? Because later on in the story, you know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And and then it says, and then very next thing that they think is, all right, let's kill him. And mm-hmm. you're like, that makes no sense. Yep, it makes absolutely no sense. And there's no joy in their existence because they can't even see that a man was raised from the dead. And this should be a joyful thing. Um, and in this case, you know, this man, 38 years of suffering, and they can't draw any pleasure from the thought that a man was set free from that suffering. Not, not a bit.
3: Yeah. I think too, exactly what Amy was saying, even though the, the extent of the miracle and what is going on and the benefit to mankind, it doesn't matter. It's still that, you know what? We do not agree with his, his message. We don't agree with him going against us and the norms of uh, society and the culture they had set up. So anything he did, it was going to be ridiculed and ultimately lead to his death. Mm. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt for just a moment here. I mean, you know, I
1: mean, they're dead wrong. Let's just say that. But but give him the benefit of the doubt and remember where they're coming from as leaders of this society who are, you know, we're we're talking about a society that's a theocratic society that had been dismantled and, and carried off for, what was it, 70 years uh, to Babylon before. And at th- that time, it was because they hadn't been following the go- the rules that God had set up for them. You know, they were abysmal at it. So now we've got this overcorrection of these guys, of these leaders who are wanting to avoid that happening again. And so they've they've placed so much emphasis on these laws that, like you've, you're all saying, they've lost the bigger picture here now of what God really wants. They forget where God said, I want obedience more than sacrifice. They've forgotten where they, they just lost the whole concept of what's the point behind the law to begin with. And now it's almost like they worship, worship that law more than they worship the God who gave it. But I give them a little bit of a I mean, not much. I mean, but I do give them a little bit of a pass in trying to avoid that, um, you know, that catastrophic type of correction that they had to have in the past being being taken down and, and uh, dismantled again.
2: So I agree with what you're saying. I think it was in response to what had happened with, you know, the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. And then it is interesting that, Jesus is able to work with some of them, like the Holy Spirit is clearly calling some of them because they do love God and they love the law. And he's he's aware of the fact that some of them are coming at it from a honest perspective. But then there must be a a sense in which some of them are not. Mm -hmm. Um, They love power and they love, you know, the attention that they get from the people. And and so because he does have a few followers among the Pharisees later on.
1: Yeah, it just seems so strange to our ears to hear these guys get so upset about somebody being healed just because of the day it was on. Um, And, you know, I mean, we are a group of people here who has found value in. Keeping the Sabbath, as it's in in the Fourth Commandment, I don't you know I don't think we've kept that any kind of a secret here. But I would say that we also understand that Jesus doing this on the Sabbath was not in any way breaking that. Not in any way, but to put such a burden on it to where you can't even help a person is totally. It just seems very backwards to the yeah, way we think. about Yeah, it's supposed
0: it. to be a day. It's supposed to be a day to reorient yourself to God, His role and your role, and and that includes other people's role. Like if that's not a day to reach out and do some good around you, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Right. But also, I mean, there was there was two things. Okay, so in verse eighteen. It says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So this was a double whammy.
2: Yeah. So, you know, people do struggle with these kinds of issues. And it is a challenge always to keep in perspective, you know, what is the Sabbath? And and I think one of the important things, probably the most important thing in my mind, is the fact that it is a celebration of the fact that God made the world. Like we're supposed to stop on that day and just be like, man, he made all this stuff because he loves us, because he cares for us. He set up the world, it's beautiful, etc." And also it's a glimpse into his mind. Like when we look at all the things that he created, we're like, oh, you're that guy. Like he made all these fabulous and intricate things and we can know him somewhat through those things that he's made. And then, of course, also, you know, Moses writes about the fact, remember the Sabbath because he is the one who redeems you. And so if you can keep that perspective, you don't turn into a legalist. <clears throat> and yet so many people um, do become legalists. And so there is a real, um, I guess, you have to you have to think it through carefully. You have to realize why you're doing it in order to keep it in a way that... Um, that really deepens your relationship with God and doesn't make you scared of him.
1: You know, th- this isn't the last time we're going to come across this concept of Jesus challenging norms, even particularly around Sabbath. Because like I said, we had the time with, with the disciples in the field. We have now, uh, next week when we're in our study, where I think we're going to talk about another healing on Sabbath, and there's 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 more controversy around that. Well, why do you think it is that Jesus... And and maybe this is just a perception, but it seems like he does kind of focus a lot around challenging those norms of the Sabbath at the time.
2: Well, it's funny to me, right? It never says, and it was a Tuesday. Like, it's always (laughs) very specific.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it goes back to the heart of things. And, you know, I'll give a little spoiler alert here. At at one point in in the future, in the Gospels, Jesus gets into a little bit of a, well, he's upset with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says some very insulting things to them, and he basically accuses them of being whitewashed tombs. They're white and perfect and pristine on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of death and rot. And that's what he's going after here. He's going Mm -hmm. after the heart of religion, not You know over 600 laws about what you can and can't do on the sabbath and can you carry a tissue and when can you cook and can you light a fire and how many steps are you allowed to walk like really so they were very 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 far off in what the heart of relationship to god looked like so to go back to the to the ten commandments the first four articulate how god wants us to interact with him it's not an exact guideline of our behavior it's a guideline for our heart right And then the last six are, are the principles of how to interact with other humans. And we get, we get an idea that they are principles rather than exact behavioral lists. If you think about the last six, now this is a good indication. So there's a place in the new Testament where Jesus says the first and the greatest commandment is this love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets, okay? So those are the underlying principles of those 10 written out rules. And then, so that's one, one way to sort of get to what God is trying to say. And another example from the New Testament, from what Jesus said, is at one point he says, you have heard it said, you know, do not... What um? What was the first one? Do not, was it covet? Do not, what was it? I think it's you shall not covet. And then he- Are you
2: talking about in the Sermon on the Mount?
0: Yeah, he says, there's, he gives two examples. The first one I think is, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that whoever looks at his brother with hatred in his heart has already committed murder, right? So he's taking, he's taking the commandments from exterior behavioral controls and he's trying to say if these are not integrated into your heart you're empty these are supposed to spring from within not control from without and that is a fundamental difference when it comes to human beings yes and then he goes on to say you have heard it say you have heard it said that you you know you should not look at a woman to lust for her you know, or no, you have heard it say, do not commit adultery. That's what it was. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you that you should not even look at a woman to lust for her. Or you have already committed adultery in your heart, right? So he's, again, his entire mission here on earth has been to erase the external guidelines that we humans judge by. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He's his entire mission is to erase those external guidelines and orient everyone within religion and proper Christian behavior comes from a heart relationship with God. And if you get stuck on the exterior, you become what he accuses the the Jewish leaders of being whitewashed tombs. So. Everything that's said, like, I, I always have that framework in mind when I'm reading Jesus' stories. And in this case, I don't, I don't see it any different. You know, he's basically, they're upset with him for breaking the Sabbath. Okay, that's easily addressed by going to the heart of the Sabbath. But the thing that we haven't talked about is utter blasphemy. He's calling himself, he's making himself equal with God. What did you guys think of that part?
1: It's interesting because here he's so directly acknowledging who he is and, and and why he's there. I mean, calling God his father. I mean, that's. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't remember up to this point if we've heard him even say things like that before.
2: Yeah, I remember we did talk about it once, but I'll have to look and see where.
1: Yeah, but but for him to so directly refer to God as his father because even Old Testament, I don't remember times really when God was referred to as the father in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is sort of introducing a whole new thought of things here, but he's, he's not, he's not being ambiguous about who he's claiming to be at this point. I mean, he hasn't come right out and said, I am God, but certainly they are, they are understanding that that's what he's saying by saying, uh, you know, referring to God as his father, he's being very open about who he is here. And um, yeah, and that makes them want to kill Jesus all the more. I mean, because of his or well, I guess they're, you know, they suspect him of blasphemy.
0: That's blatant blasphemy if you're not mm-hmm. God. Yeah. You know, so it, it it is like that's a yeah, that's right in their face. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: and and that's actually where we get our definition of blasphemy. Like that is exactly uh, blasphemy. Like it's spelled mm-hmm. out right there. So By nowadays, position.
0: you know, nowadays, all these years in the future, you know, I read I read this passage from a modern day perspective, and I think, well, you know, my father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. And if they, if somebody gets upset at me calling God my father, my response is, isn't He yours? that's years and years and years in the future with Jews and Gentiles integrated the sacrificial system done away with, you know, like there's change, there's things, things have shifted. The message is still the same, but things have shifted.
1: My first blush of reading this with Jesus referring to him as the father. And I don't, I don't know if it's, I'm just used to Jesus calling God, the father so much that at first it doesn't even register in my brain. as that be as that being him claiming equality with the father so much as because I think of God as the father. And maybe that's a modern day Christian way of looking at things. And so when he says my father, it's like, well, yeah, he's my father too. Kind of like you were just saying there, Karen, but that's clearly not what the Jews, the the Jewish uh, leaders were thinking.
2: So this kind of leads me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I feel like it's important to remember that uh, having the right perspective on this does change everything. About how we think about our fellow human beings, and I, I did, I do have one text, Matt, that it reminded me of. That's in the Old Testament. Uh, Malachi two verse ten says, "Have we not all one Father? Hath not mm-hmm. God created us all?" Uh, so why does so why deal, why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And then in Acts, um, I think it's Peter speaking. Um, he says in acts 17 verse 26 god has made us of one nation of one blood let's see and hath made of one blood all the nations of men who dwell on the face of the earth and so i just think you know that gives me a lot of hope in a time when people are racially divided and it reminds me that you know according to the church and according to scripture we are all god's children every one Mm -hmm. of us and it's super important to keep that perspective, you know, that because um, people will say, "Oh, it's the church that divides people," and that's a that's a lie. Like that, this is an old truth. The old truth is we are all descended from the hand of God. We are all originally His creation, and if we can't keep that perspective, we are in serious trouble.
1: Yeah, and so that to me, that's it is interesting to me to that that the leaders would would. Calling Jesus out for calling God his father When I guess like you just pointed out That's not the first time we've heard that But it must just be something about the way That Jesus is saying it My father maybe instead of the Father you know Um, Mm -hmm. Because he's He's very openly declaring His His relationship to God As being More than just created being To creator
2: I guess just one more thought, which is, you know, we do need to give the Jewish nation credit for the monotheism that they maintained. You know, Moses gave to the world this idea of of the one God. You know, there's not this pantheon of all these various gods that you have to uh, remember all their personalities and you have to appease this one this way and this one that way. Um, you know, they gave us this concept of a god who is an unchangeable creator god in whom exist all things and and that is a very important concept to uh to our sanity
1: well jesus doesn't back down from this idea of the of god being his father either because he i mean he goes um, let's uh, let's just say he goes on full on jesus mode here because um <laughs> he goes right in he starts talking about how he says i don't do anything except for what the father does and that's my paraphrase here of course but um you know I'm not doing anything that God doesn't do because he starts talking about how God works on the Sabbath because remember this is their their concept they're they're coming down on Jesus because they think he's quote unquote working on the Sabbath and Jesus is like my father works on the Sabbath he never stops working and I only do what my father does and and, and so he's just like Doubling and tripling down on this And there's a whole lot of red letter Here in in the Bible In my Bible about Of Jesus Comparing what he does And his relationship with the Father And it's some really fascinating stuff So first of all I'm not doing anything God doesn't do So I don't know if that's kind of his Just chill out you guys Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do But he says that the Father shows Jesus everything he does And uh, we're going to see greater works even than what you've seen here. I mean, just... Uh, like like salvation. I,
0: think,
1: <laughs>
3: you know, I, I yeah. see in this, the, the ongoing, like, five verses here, he just brings everything together right now. Yeah. It's like yeah. there is no separation.
1: Yeah.
0: What do yeah. you guys think of verse 22?
1: Verse 22. Let's read what that says here real quick. For, uh, for father the
3: father judges yeah. no one, but has... Committed all judgments to the Son. Yeah. See
1: now that
0: a Bible search.
3: That is an
1: interesting statement, considering how even in modern day religion, the Father is seen as the judgmental one, Mm -hmm. and Jesus is seen as the loving, gracious, forgiving, and kind one. Mm -hmm. And even Jesus is saying here right now, I'm the one who
2: judges. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who yeah, look at verse
0: 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Yeah, there's a so, whole
3: lot that Jesus is claiming for himself Yep. Here. He lays down the, the whole entire plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear some of these verses I found? These were pretty interesting. Yes, yeah. please. So in the Old Testament, it mostly says God. So in Ecclesiastes 3.17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work, right? That's that famous, there's a time and a season for everything, chapter of Ecclesiastes 3. And then um, in Psalms, Psalm 75, it says, it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. That's in Psalm 75, 7. And in Psalm um, 58, 11, it says, mankind will say, There is a surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. So there's there's a few of those. But then one of the most interesting ones that I found was in Second Corinthians five ten. So now New Testament. So after the crucifixion, says uh, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil.
1: Isn't that interesting that Jesus is the judge? Because it's it, it, it's clear to me that Jesus is saying that the Father has deferred judgment yeah. to Jesus.
0: Now, here's the <laughs> most interesting one. Check this out. Romans 2.16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus.
1: Why is it, you think, that, Jesus is the one who was allowed judgment. Of the Godhead, why Jesus versus the father? I mean, you know, we instantly think of the father as omnipotent. He knows everything. He's all powerful. Um, and of course, if we understand, well, who understands the trilogy fully? But, you know, three separate parts of the Godhead. Equally powerful. Why Jesus? Why is Jesus the
3: one who will judge? I wonder if it has to do with taking on that humanistic form and mm-hmm. and having lived all the trials and tribulations that that we face. You know, I wonder if that has you know a part to do with it.
1: I think undoubtedly it does. It's, he's got the experience that we have. he can show that he has the experience that we mm-hmm. have.
2: So I was thinking about Second Corinthians five verse nineteen, which is. Just such a fabulous verse. It says, we know this, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, uh, not counting our trespasses towards us. And he has committed us now to this word of reconciliation, for we are ambassadors of Christ. So when I look at that verse, I think of the what Tracy is saying, like Christ came into the world, lived our life, you know, walked in our shoes, suffered what we suffer, and he's showing us that God is right there with us. He's right here in this very, very dark place. And, and I think, you know, that has to be the answer to the question that you're asking. Why is Christ given judgment? Because
0: he's been here. You know, he's, he's lived this life. So the most interesting passage that I found <clears throat> was in Matthew 25. And it starts in verse 31. And it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, right? And so we know that this is the passage that includes whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And I wonder, since Jesus is the one who came down here and actually walked the earth It made me wonder if that was one of the key indicators of, you know, you know, going back to the heart of religion, where is your heart? Where is your heart? It's awfully easy to look around the world and mostly be annoyed and not live in a state of grace and love. But grace and love are what is required of us because grace and love is what has been extended to us. So amen. Jesus is in the unique position to be able to judge How we live, think, and act here on Earth, because He lived, thought, and acted here on Earth. That's just my thought.
1: Yeah, He's able to point to His time here, where where the Father and the Holy Spirit maybe are not able to demonstrate that as as easily. I mean, of course, you know, God is omnipotent. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, or uh, omnipotent, omniscient, uh, omnipresent. You know.
0: All the things.
1: Um, But (laughs) Jesus, we can actually point to Jesus, say he was here. He spent time here. He interacted with human beings. We can look at it. We can see that he did it. Even if you don't understand the concept of omnipotence and omniscience and and omnipresence, we can still look to Jesus and go, yeah, he gets it because because he was here. And so that's why he's able to have judgment on. Uh, on the situation because he's been in the situation. You know, he talks a lot about, even before we get to there, he's talking about, you know, we're talking about his, him and Jesus's equality with the father. And where he says in verse, um, Oh, 23, all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I mean, Jesus is not backing away from any accusations of him, uh, You know, they're they're accusing him of being blasphemous and he's not backing down from it. He just he just he very boldly comes right out saying these things. We don't see that a lot. I think there's times when he is even a little more direct, but but this one here when he's kind of in trouble uh with the leaders already and he's just laying it out there and it's it's really awesome when he gets I like when I like when Jesus gets a little bit um you know, forceful is maybe not the right word, but uh,
2: bold. direct. Bold. bold,
1: yeah, I love yeah. it when he gets bold.
2: So, two thoughts. One was just, you know, these passages are exciting to me because I feel like, you know, we we're we're made out of dust, you know, we're we're very small creatures, and and yet God is letting us look a little bit into the Godhead, like He's allowing us this vision of who He is in these passages, and that's crazy right? Like that is really intense if you think about it. And then the second thing is, as you were speaking, Matt, I was thinking about a passage in C.S. Lewis, which I know I do this too often, but (laughs) he he talks about the fact that we, um, that Jesus, you know, people always want to say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. And yet, if you look closely at what he says, like in the red letters, right? He says some things that either mean he was insane, or the worst megalomaniac who ever lived, or he was God. Yeah. End of story. Like those are your options. Like he's not—he's not just this nice teacher who never says I'm God. He—he he calls it out. He claims it boldly, like we were talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you can quote C.S. Lewis anytime you want. He's awesome.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> there yeah, a I a couple. Love
0: it. I don't yeah. mind if you quote C.S. Lewis a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. I can well, then I'll, I'll tell you guys something fun
2: that I did once. So I went to a veterinary convention in Champaign, Illinois. So
1: I love that cool. town.
2: I oh, think it's yeah. so pretty. It was cool. But I went three days early because I went to Wheaton, Illinois, where C.S. Lewis's writings are all housed. Like he left all of his writings to Wheaton College. And so I got a hotel and I sat there and I read the letters that he wrote to his brother. Because in my heart of hearts, I'm a complete nerd. But it was so fun. Like that's all I did. I would go to my hotel room at, you know, after they closed. And otherwise I was in that little library. It was very neat. Neat.
1: Hey, that's fun. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Okay. Well, I, then I get went on to the a-
2: convention as I was supposed to do.
1: <laughs> there you go. I <laughs> could, I, you know, I could get on a whole tangent about C.S. Lewis. Cause I think he's pretty cool. I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but anyway, don't want to get stuck on C.S. Lewis right now though, but yeah, you so. may quote him anytime you want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but- He's got really good permission
2: granted. Yeah. (laughs) Carry on.
1: Yeah. But so one of the other things Jesus says here in that verse 24, we've already kind of looked at it, but we get, we need to look at it just a little bit deeper because something he says here is really, really important for us to understand. He says, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. So, okay. Jesus has judgment, but believe, believe Jesus, believe in the father, Judgment isn't a problem for you, right? But he goes beyond that. He says, but has passed from death into life. We get a concept of God looking for reasons to squash us sometimes, looking for reasons to send us to hell. We can talk, we could talk some time about the concept of hell, what all that means, uh, and what the realities are of it. But the point that Jesus is making here is look, You're already condemned to hell. You are already headed that way. But if you listen to me and you believe in the father, that's not a problem for you. So Jesus is saying, I am pulling you away from that. I am pulling you out of the fire. So we've got to people need to switch their way of thinking of of God, like looking for reasons to put them in hell when he's actually doing the exact opposite pulling them away from it because that's where we're headed on our natural course already. And, and Jesus is, is saying, no, you're passing from death. You're into life. Such an important thing to understand about Jesus and his relationship to us and what he is doing for us. Now he's talking to, or he's talking also, I think more than just about, death in a traditional sense, because I think he's also talking about like a spiritual death. He says, he says in verse 25, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Uh, You know, if we're already in a spiritual death and we're hearing Jesus's voice and we start to turn our minds around and we start to listen to him and understanding his uh, who he is and what he is trying to direct us to, trying to direct us to the Father, to the ways of the Father. There's a lot involved here, I think, with when he's talking about, he's talking about death and, and you know, the, the concepts of life and death. Because he also says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So all, all these things that Jesus is claiming coming from, from God, the Father. Uh, and the ability to grant life. And we know that that means, you know, literal life. We've seen him. Well, I mean, we've all read enough to know that he, like, you, uh, I think maybe it was you, Amy, was talking about how he uh, eventually we will see him raise Lazarus from the dead. We'll see him literally raise people from the dead more than once. And, of course, we've read the end of the book. So we know that, you know, we know about resurrection and 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 heaven and all these things but his claims his claims on on life not only is he talking godhood but his but his claims on life are something to consider as well
2: well just as you're talking i'm thinking about that you know cuz i've always taken that passage to refer to the resurrection like at the end of the world and mm-hmm you know, it's, it's an exciting passage because he says, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and the dead shall live. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that's just a concept that a lot of the world doesn't live with. Like we are, we have hope. Like we don't have to think in terms of, you know, this life is all that there is. Jesus is clearly promising something very different. And I, you know, of course my mind jumps to First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead shall be raised. You know, that's a, an exciting verse. But what you said is interesting because in just five more chapters, he's going to raise Lazarus. So it's not at the end of the world and, you know, a couple thousand years later, it's it's almost immediate. Like, mm-hmm. he's living there now, and a friend dies, and he goes and raises him, and that's that's so exciting. hmm
1: Well, and the way he words it, though, he says the time is coming and now is when Mm -hmm. uh, when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And so that's why that's why I was taking that as being not just not just the physical death, but also the spiritual death, the you know, the people who are accusing him right now of breaking the Sabbath because he's not following all the rules, you know, and he's trying to he's saying if you listen to me, you're going to understand that there's more than rules here. It's not about rules. It's about it's about life. It's about, uh, it, it's about you know, he talks about later, it says, I, I came to give you abundant life. So not just survival, not just getting through it, but actually living and,
3: I don't know, I guess rejoicing in that life. See, but this is going exactly contrary to what they're trying to, to, uh, to live right now. Mm-hmm. is that you know we've talked about it before is that you know they've they've been exiled, they've been you know uh, destroyed their temple burned down for not following the law. So now they've taken it to the extreme to the point of Jesus saying it's not that mm-hmm. you're missing the mark again. Mm-hmm. Let me show you the simplicity of this message.
0: Yeah yes.
3: Yeah, simple. It's simple
1: as our, as our pastor has been preaching to us over this mm, 12, 13 weeks now, he calls it the, the, the too good to be true gospel. It's so simple that we have a hard time as human beings of grasping how easy it is to just live in it and just be in it and just allowing it to wash over you and, and be a part of you and, and not feeling like you have to do something to earn, you know, the right to be one of Jesus's people. Uh, it's just a simple, it's, it, it's way more simple than we than we make it out to be. And, you know, Jesus is telling him, I'm here to give you life right now. It's not about rules. It's not about just surviving. It's about living. Yeah, and he, he, he does get a little more descriptive about it. He says, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. So, I mean, that does seem to also to be talking about literal resurrection down the road, and that idea of the resurrection too is something he expands on here because he says those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So isn't it interesting here that he's saying that everybody at some point will be resurrected? Everybody is going to be brought up at some point and this in the voice, or is this in the face of people who, and we haven't talked about it here yet, but I, at least I don't think, but uh, people who some didn't even believe in a res- resurrection. That comes later.
2: Right, the Sanhedrin. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. The Sanhedrin did not believe in the resurrection. I'm not sure what they believed in, if they didn't believe in that. But it's an interesting concept that everybody gets resurrected. And some some to something good and some to something not so good. Jesus says, as I hear, I judge. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So even within his own judgment, he's gotten, he has this ability to judge. Uh, he has this right to judge. Yet he's still, at least the way I'm re- um, reading it here, he's still deferring to the Father in that judgment. So how is that working? If, if he is the one who judges but he's deferring to the father in judgment. How is it then that he is judging? What, is that, what do you think that is meaning? Is he simply deferring to the father's purposes?
0: Well, they function as one, so it's a little bit of an odd statement to me, especially given what we read up above about the father giving all judgment to the son.
3: Yeah,
1: it seems like it's still it's still under the principles that the father has laid down. Still within, I mean, he still is judging according to, I don't know, I'm trying not to step in it here. There's still judgment according to law, but yet, the you know, we have grace that is like this umbrella over the law, even. And Jesus, I don't know, he said before, he said before, I just do what the Father says to do.
0: And yet the Father says, I've put all judgment into the hands of the Son. I've given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting deferral, I guess. It's really not a deferral. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how how to how to how to word it because yeah, Jesus says I do what the Father says, but the Father says, but he also says, "Father, has let has given it all to me." Um
0: right. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's it's a little bit circular and maybe it's simply an indication of how closely they all work together.
1: I think maybe that's what's that's probably what I've been tra- what I'm trying to say is that yeah, they all It's not like one guy does one specific thing while one guy does another specific thing and the other does another specific thing, although it is a little bit of that, but it's a little bit more like a Venn diagram where it all swirls (laughs) together. It all meshes up, you know, and, and, and they're all sort of working with each other, deferring to each other. um, And, and not one is rising to the top so much. But uh, just everybody just kind of do doing their things. So it's a, it's an interesting glimpse into how the Godhead works.
0: I actually had a little bit of a question about the verses right before that, not to okay. backtrack. No.
1: Absolutely. Um, in 28 and
0: 29, it says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned, right? Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, he's talking about what you do here. There's another verse where it says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. but those who've done the will of my father. And they will say to me in that day, but we did all these things in your name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. Isn't right. that
1: odd? Yeah. Um, it tells us that it's more than just words. It tells us that it's more than just saying it. It's more than just
3: trying to achieve the, it yourself.
1: Trying to achieve it yourself. More than just going through the motions. More than just doing actions. It's about relationship. That's something we've tried to say here a lot of times. It's about our relationship with... With uh, with God, you know, if I being married just am doing stuff that my wife asked me to do, but maybe it's a little begrudgingly or maybe it's just simply out of a matter of duty. But we don't really talk. We don't really have any interaction with each other. We don't have any emotional connection to each other. To me, that's kind of what this is talking about, where where it's, it's more than just to just doing it, it's why do you do it? What is your, what's what's the relationship?
2: I was just thinking about uh, Galatians 5, verse 16, where Paul says, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And, you know, before that, he's talking about all these things, um, you know, how does Christ profit you? How does, you know, being with Christ profit you? Well, he gives you this friend, the Holy Spirit, who then, you know, instead, guides you and helps you and changes you from the inside out. And um, just kind of a a thought that jumped into my mind is, you know, of course, none of us can do it on our own. But we certainly are expected to take care of the poor, feed the hungry, you know, all of those things. The Bible is clear about that as well. So we have to we have to think about this and think, okay, well, what is it really saying? Because we're saved by grace but we're also not supposed to give in to sin. And then, you know, James talks about, um, you know, I, it works without or uh, faith without works is dead. And he's talking very specifically about taking care of the widow and the fatherless. And so um, the Holy Spirit points out to you individuals who do need help or who need your friendship or, you know, maybe a meal. Those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is very active in the life of the Christian. And the Holy Spirit is, is very much involved in sort of letting you know, hey, so-and-so could use a phone call or whatever.
1: Yeah, being, you know, listening, following. Mm. Relationship,
0: yeah. like you were Relationship. saying. Relationship, yeah, yeah. Or, Here's the actual verse, as opposed to going off of my sketchy memory. Um, it's Matthew seven twenty one. So it's in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? So there's this line between knowing and doing. And sometimes it seems like they overlap, and other times it comes down to the human level where the Pharisees were at, where they were closely guarding the Sabbath because of weird behavioral things that had nothing to do with the heart of the Sabbath. And we know that we know that behavior matters because we're commanded to do it. Um, it's, uh, there's, in one place it says, you know, we were, we were created to do good works, which were created for us to walk in them right? Like there's good Mm -hmm. works waiting to be done. We were put here to walk in those good works, right? And yet that is not what saves us. And yet in Revelation, it says he comes back to reward everyone according to their works. So it's not our salvation, but there is some kind of reward attached to it because this is what we're commanded to do. I personally think that it is to demonstrate Christ's character here on earth. I think that that is why the continual call to works is there, is that we're supposed to be, you know, the city on a hill. We are salt. We are light. We are all the things, right?
2: Well, I just want to say, you know, what Karen's saying is so important. Like, Jesus says it. You know, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So it's not about us, um, you know, like being... It's so that people can be drawn to the Father. Like, has anyone ever had the experience of, I know I did, when I was very young, and I wasn't a confirmed Christian at this point, and, you know, there were people who came into my life who were so kind to me in the name of Christ that it changed how I thought a lot. Like, it broke my heart how nice these people were. And, and so I was like, oh, this is not what I thought Christianity was. And their kindness was beautiful and a very drawing force in my life. So I think Karen's mm-hmm. on to something there. Like the point is that we will draw others to him.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think a big part of this too is are you drawing people to God or are you drawing people to yourself? Right. Yeah. And, and where, I, where I come at from this is... Uh, the other day, my youngest son loves to watch YouTube and occasionally I'll sit and watch with him until I just can't stand it anymore. But <laughs> he's He was watching a guy who I guess makes a practice of giving out money. I don't know where he gets this money from, but, um, you know, just going up to, I don't know if they're random people. I don't remember how he chooses them, but the videos are of him going and giving these people this money. You know, and on the surface, there it seems like a very, very kind thing to do. But make sure that the camera's got everything just right. Make sure they they see me handing her this money. Make sure that this, you know, it there's a there's a disingenuous air to it, in my opinion. And it, you know, I, I'm sure his generosity is pure. But it's very much a watch me give her money, watch me do this. Or when you hear companies or talk, you know, you'll hear a company talk about how you know we're going to give x numbers of thousands or millions of dollars to this foundation. Blah blah blah. It's look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, give this. And in and, and that's different from cooperate with God, do the things that He wants you to do because it's what you're created to do. Or you know.
0: That reminds me of something where where it says in the Bible, you know, when you do good, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, or it might be the other way around. Anyway, do not let one of your hands know what the other one is doing. Do your good works in secret, and your Father who is in heaven who sees your good works will reward you publicly, right? Mm -hmm. And then it says, if you do good works in public, for immediate recognition, you have already received your reward. Mm-hmm. So none of this has to do with salvation, and right. all of it has to do with doing God's work here on earth, and our work is showing his character in such a way that he is magnetic, that he draws. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I see it, but it's interesting watching it play out in different in different passages of the bible.
1: Yeah, all in that cooperation with God and just and simply simply being with him, simply being with him, being in him. You know, we talk about Jesus saying I never knew you. Keep in mind that word knew you. That's that is relational to the I, the uh the the phrase when Adam knew Eve and then they had a son. You know, it's a very it it indicates a very intimate relationship even even as deep as we would consider a sexual relationship of being that level of intimacy there's nothing hidden there's nothing um there's 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 no hidden agendas there is no it's certainly yeah there's just there's so much involved with that can i
0: just can i just inject here how horrifying that is as a broken little human who has very mixed up agendas from one minute to the next can i just be really self-conscious about that for a second?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay,
0: yeah.
1: That's that's all. That's all yeah. Well, we try we try to hide our agendas but God God still knows. <laughs> and unfortunately that is all the recording we got for this week. You probably noticed there towards the end my audio was getting a little weird and fuzzy and that's because my internet was going out for a couple of hours here. So with that we end this week's episode and we will pick this up next week in uh, the end of John chapter 5. So look at John chapter 5 and uh, a little bit into Matthew chapter 12. And while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family. And please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. so We reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.